TUC Radio, Time of Useful Consciousness. Thanks to 30 years on the air and a love letter to my grandmother and a detour into fast fashion. I'm recording this at the end of December 2022 as a celebration of three decades of producing TUC Radio as an independent community program. Some radio stations have broadcast TUC Radio since the very beginning, and some of you may have heard it since 1992. And my thanks go out to all of you. One of my specialties has been climate change, and that was quite a ride for all of us in these past 30 years. In the early 90s, powerful forces claimed that it wasn't happening, Or if it was, in fact, getting warmer, we could expect a nice time on the beach. Now that so many beaches are encroached by rising oceans or soiled with oil and plastic trash, it becomes obvious that we need to rethink how we live and act. I've always thought of my grandmother this time of year, where the circle around the sun is changing and a new year feels like an inspiration for a new beginning. And of course, she had the most beautiful Christmas tree decorated with ornaments that had been passed down from her grandmother, including the angel of blown glass that I liked so much. If she were now by my side, would she even recognize the land she walked on when she was a teenager at the turn of the century? My grandmother Maria was born in 1885. I lived with her in a small town in Switzerland for 13 years, from five years of age until I left for college at 18. While my friends and family in California were riding the surf of post-war consumerism, I lived with customs, utensils, and values that came from the pre-industrial era. And I was happy living that way. We received care packages from California with coffee wrapped in glossy magazines. They showed shiny cars on palm tree-lined boulevards and happy housewives unwrapping their most recent electric kitchen appliance And then they used one of their shiny, red-lacquered fingertips to push the on button. The California dream. I can't remember being jealous of that life. I probably did not believe it was real. The women in full makeup in their kitchens didn't look like anybody in my grandmother's neighborhood. There were still horses on the road, and most automobiles were respectful and passed them slowly. Few houses had indoor plumbing. I learned how to use the hand pump to the shallow well. There was no access to gas. Heating and cooking was done on wood and coal stoves. Laundry was done by hand and dried on clotheslines in the garden or in the attic when it rained. There was at least one day a week where the sewing machine came out of its table and the belts were connected to the flywheel and pedal. It was my job to thread the needle, 
when cotton sheets became thin in the middle, my grandmother used to cut them in half and sew the outer parts together. A seam now went down the middle of the sheet, but you barely noticed it. It doubled the life of the sheet. The most fun for me was watching my grandmother and my aunt and maybe the widow next door who came to visit sit in a circle around the lamp and darn socks. They used wooden eggs or carved mushroom under the hole in the sock and passed around the basket with yarn to find the right color and filled the hole with a beautiful weave. Clothes that needed fixing were placed in a large wicker basket, and on sewing day I was helping by taking the jacket or skirt out of the basket to see what it needed. There was a lost button, for example, and I tipped the hat box with a button collection over on a tray to see if I could find a match. I knew the buttons really well, because I liked to play with them. There were iridescent mother-of-pearl buttons. Some were hand-carved from wood or deer antlers. Others were painted and glazed, or made of clay or porcelain or brass. Every time when an article of clothing had reached the end of its useful life, precious things like buttons and ribbon and zippers or pieces of lace were harvested before the fabric was used for a smaller piece of clothing, for a child, maybe for me, or cut up in strips and braided into a rug. I have never been able to duplicate this kind of sewing culture where I now live. It depended on and supported a wider network of stores in that small town where yarn and fabric was sold. Even small repair businesses existed where you could bring that precious heavy-duty coat that grandfather used to wear and that had a tear in the sleeve or a hole chewed in it by moths. The artisans would harvest threads from the fabric inside the seam to mend the coat and nobody was able to see where the hole had been. Also, everybody had names of neighbors who came by for a day to sew clothes from scratch. And I remember standing on a table and the seamstress measured where the hem of my new skirt would go. For me, they always made an extra fold that could be let out as I was growing. The only habit and memory of that time that I keep alive is that all the clothes I'm wearing are secondhand from local thrift stores or gifts from friends. Once a year or so, I go to the local Ross Dress for Less store in the Orchard Shopping Center to buy socks and underwear. I'm looking for cotton, wool, or silk. Two weeks ago, I had a bad surprise. When I was unable to find anything made of natural fibers, I asked for help to find the cotton socks. And the clerk repeated the word cotton with a huge imaginary question mark and told me that most everything these days is made of polyester, nylon or acrylic, maybe with a small amount of cotton added. 
And there I was with my six-pack of mixed socks and mixed underwear in the checkout line and wondered why it wasn't moving. At the register was a young woman and her maybe 11-year-old daughter with two shopping carts. One was filled to the brim with clothes that she passed to the cashier. The other, filling slowly, was for the garments she was about to take to her car. After 15 minutes, they opened another register for people with few items, and when I finally got to the exit, I turned around and the checkout was still underway. I guessed from the cheers coming from her daughter that quite a few items were for her and wondered how fast she might be growing and how long she would be able to wear what they bought today. Two weeks ago, I did not know much about fast fashion, but I did know that the raw materials for these fibers come from fossil fuels. And an article in The Guardian says that textile production consumes more oil than Spain uses in a year and significantly adds to the fashion industry's huge climate footprint. And I looked for advice on the Internet. Here's Raleigh Williams, a New York street comedian with a degree in climate policy from Columbia University. This is his take on fast fashion. Whenever I need to look like the kind of guy who understands fashion, I cram myself into a suit that looks like it was made for some kind of European heroin addict. And for the low price of $30, you too can walk out of an H&M dressed like your Slender Man's younger brother. In fact, at prices like these, it can be more expensive to clean your clothes than it is to throw away your dirty clothes and buy all new ones. And I know that sounds like the kind of plan that was invented by some sort of nine-year-old king, but it's actually pretty close to reality because the average garment in America is one just seven times before it's thrown away. And if you're thinking, well, whew, it's a good thing I donate my clothes to other people, that's not actually happening. Oh, you're donating your clothes, but that basically just means that your clothes take a little trip to the Salvation Army, where they say thank you for your service, before 90% of all clothes donated to a thrift store get rejected and sent straight to a landfill or a textile waste mill. With stores like H&M, Uniqlo, Zara, Guess, and Gap selling low-quality clothes at bargain basement prices, Americans buy an average of 68 items of clothing every year, which seems like a lot of clothes, but it's not even all the clothes because 10% of clothing produced gets worn zero times because it never gets bought and it just goes straight into the garbage. Fast fashion is so big and wasteful that it produces more CO2 than France, Germany, and the UK combined. Fast fashion is devastating to the climate and it is a husky-sized human rights violation, but it is so profitable that it's projected to triple by 2050 unless we change something. We are currently knocking on the door of a climate catastrophe and how we deal with fast fashion may determine if we're able to avoid some of the worst parts of a climate disaster. But unlike most of the systemic causes of climate change, there's actually something you can do about fast fashion, maybe? Now, fashion wasn't always about buying $5 dresses or trying to look like a sexy haystack. Mission very much accomplished, by the way. Everything I've described so far is traditional, slow fashion. Clothing is designed, manufactured, shipped, and sold domestically. And as recently as... No ooh -hoo -hoo -hoo. 
I'm not gonna die for this video. As recently as 1990, more than half the clothes bought in America were also made in America. But between 1990 and now, so much manufacturing went overseas that America now makes less than 2% of its clothes. And now almost every item of clothing worn in America has to first make a CO2 intensive international trip and we're not talking about one little international trip to Paris and back. Since the only thing manufacturers really care about is minimizing production costs, the life of a shirt might begin with cotton grown in India, then get sent to Mexico to be processed, then get sent to Bangladesh to be sewn together, then get sent to Colombia to have the tag sewn on, then get sent to Miami to be distributed to a store in Georgia. But what's a little thousand tons of heat trapping gas in the atmosphere if it means you could buy this very real shirt that says, Fridays we be like squad goals. And just to be clear, clothing manufacturers didn't move their factories to other countries so that they could make better clothes. They did it so they could go back to treating their workers like they did in 1911. Now since companies didn't have to pay for vacations or health insurance or fire extinguishers, their profits shot through the roof like a drunken cowboy. And sure, these major American manufacturing companies who moved their factories to China, India, Bangladesh, etc. could have used that money to pay their workers a living wage. And they did! Not. Shit. They did not. They used that money to expand executive salaries by 500%. But wait, it gets worse. Because as the cost of manufacturing clothes shot through the floor like a drunken cowboy's upstairs neighbor, clothing companies were able to sell clothes for cheaper, which means people were able to buy more clothes. The average American is now buying five to six articles of clothing every month, which is five times more than we did in the 1980s. The decade we did everything right. That was Wally Williams, a New York street comedian with a degree in climate policy from Columbia. Next is more information on polyester. This is information posted on YouTube in August 2022. This is the story of fashion, petroleum, and us. At the heart of this story, we find plastic. Our oceans are contaminated with the plastics we have been using since the 50s like polyethylene, PET, PVC, and styrofoam. They make bags, bottles, packaging, nets, and everything we need very cheaply. But the problem is that they don't degrade. They just break down into smaller and smaller pieces called micro and nanoplastics, eventually finding their way into animal life. Microplastics were even recently discovered in human blood in March of 2022 by Professor Vithak. We asked him, what type of plastic is getting into our blood? If you talk about clothes, you're looking at these plastic particles, and one of the more predominant plastic particle types are fibers. Plastic fibers, aka polyester. According to the Textile Exchange, 52% of all textiles produced are made of polyester. But what is polyester made from? Uh, hydrocarbons, uh, hydrocarbons. Hydrocarbons. Uh, and we must end our dependency on all Russian hydrocarbons. I don't think we can turn our backs entirely on hydrocarbons. Hydrocarbons. Polyesters are hydrocarbons, also known as petroleum or natural gas. The same petroleum that is causing conflicts all over the world and creating oil spills and excessive CO2 emissions is also what we are wearing on our skin. How does this transformation happen? Are we really wearing petroleum? First, hydrocarbons are pumped from the earth and then transported through pipelines 
to petroleum refineries to be separated by heat. Petroleum has many uses, primarily fuel, but the petroleum fraction we need is called naphtha. After refining naphtha, we get two lighter hydrocarbons, ethylene and xylene. Once we have these two hydrocarbons, we move on to the chemical processing stage. Here we'll convert xylene into dimethyl terephthalate and ethylene into monoethylene glycol. These are the two hydrocarbon chemicals we need to make plastic. By polymerizing monoethylene glycol and terephthalic acid, we make polyethylene terephthalate. PET is one of the most common plastics made. PET is polyester. They are the same thing. The PET chips now only need to be melted to make plastic bottles or polyester fibers. They are the exact same type of plastic made directly from petroleum. This is why recycled PET bottles can be melted to make polyester fibers. So how does PET become our clothes? Once the PET is melted, it is extruded through a spinneret and simply pulled into long, thin fibers. Often, many petrochemicals are added here to make the polyester functional. Once these filament fibers are cut, we have made the polyester staple fiber. These are the plastic fibers we are finding in our bodies and the environment. At this point, polyester can be mixed with other fibers like cotton, wool, and viscose. First, the polyester fibers are carded and combed into slivers. These slivers are pooled and pooled into thinner slivers and finally spun into cones of yarn. The second step is turning the polyester yarn into fabric. For shirts, the yarn is knitted in circular machines. Once done knitting, these raw polyester fabrics are washed, dyed with petroleum-based dyes, and treated with petrochemical finishings to be made into clothes. The finished fabric is cut into pieces. These pieces are sewn by seamsters, usually using polyester or nylon threads and labels. Once finished, the plastic clothes are packaged in plastic to be sent to you. The polyester and fabric threads and labels of your clothes are constantly releasing microplastics when made into clothes, when worn, when washed, and when thrown away. These microplastics, made directly from petroleum, end up back into our rivers and oceans, into wildlife and our food, and into our lungs and bloodstream. Regardless if it's virgin or recycled polyester, or if the plastic is transformed into new products, it will constantly release microplastics. Even if polyester is recycled, it will always end up back in the ocean, in animals and in us. Actually, the most numerous items are now the very, very small particles, the microplastic pieces, down to pieces less than the diameter of a human hair, pieces that have arisen from the fragmentation of large items, the crisp packets and the bottles, but also from the direct release of small particles, such as the fibers from clothing. The only way to stop this contamination is to stop using plastics. That was an excerpt from How Fast Fashion and Polyester Create the Microplastics in Our Blood posted on YouTube in August 2022. And finally, a quiz of sorts. Here are 10 fast fashion facts, assembled by Planet Proof, a channel that is dedicated to researching and evaluating businesses, brands, and products.
The term fast fashion refers to a sizable part of the fashion industry that operates on the principle of producing low-quality apparel at low cost in a short amount of time and in big quantities. Although items with low pricing and those that represent the most recent fashion trends are immensely appealing, particularly to younger buyers, the environmental and social implications of the sector are sometimes ignored. Here are 10 truths about fast fashion that you should be aware of. Number 1. Each year, 100 billion different articles of clothing are manufactured. That works out to almost 14 pieces for each and every person that lives in the world. It should not come as a surprise, given these staggeringly high numbers, that the worldwide clothing production business is the third largest manufacturing industry in the world, behind only the automobile and technology industries. Number 2. The average individual wears only 20% of their wardrobe 80% of the time. People are naturally drawn to low-priced items, and the modern shopping model, which depends on rapid manufacturing and inexpensive offers, fosters excessive consumption since it capitalizes on this natural attraction. Spending more money on high-quality, long-lasting pieces of clothing that will very soon go out of style is not the best financial decision for individual consumers. Number 3. The target audience for fast fashion retailers is mostly consumers aged 18 to 24. A study conducted in 2016 discovered that brands intentionally target young consumers, who are frequently students with modest incomes. Additionally, the survey discovered that ladies in this age group shop at fast fashion merchants more than any other demographic group does. Number 4. Fast fashion companies pollute more than international aviation and shipping combined. Fast fashion, due to the nature of its business model, is fundamentally one of the most environmentally harmful sectors in the world and it is contributing to global pollution and climate change in a manner that is astronomically significant. If the industry of fast fashion were a country, its carbon emissions would place it towards the top of the list for the entire continent of Europe. Not only does the act of manufacturing itself contribute to the emissions, but so does the shipping of clothing all over the world and the disposal of old garments once they have served their purpose. Number 5. Materials based on plastic make up 60% of the whole production of clothing. The fast fashion business is responsible for a significant amount of pollution, one of the biggest sources of which is carbon dioxide emissions. Also, clothing is a significant source of microplastics. The majority of today's manufactured apparel is constructed of long-lasting and cost-effective materials like nylon or polyester. It's estimated that around 60% of the things manufactured by fast fashion companies are created with textiles that are based on plastic, which is produced from fossil fuels. These textiles, during their entire life cycles, are making a significant contribution to the catastrophe of plastic pollution that is affecting the entire globe. With each wash and dry, microfilaments are released into the environment, where they travel through our sewage systems and find their way into waterways. According to estimates provided by researchers, these toxins make their way into the ocean on an annual basis at a rate of approximately 500,000 metric tons. Number 6. The annual water usage of the fashion industry is estimated to be approximately 93 billion cubic meters. Water consumption of around 2,000 gallons, that is 7.6 cubic meters, is required for the production of a single pair of standard jeans. When you add up all the jeans and other articles of clothing that are manufactured each year, the industry as a whole consumes an enormous quantity of water. Nonetheless, this is not the only problem that environmentalists are concerned about. 
a significant portion of the water that is used is thus left in a state of contamination by harmful compounds. The United Nations Environment Program, UNEP, estimates that the textile dyeing industry is solely responsible for 20% of the world's wastewater. Number 7. We are responsible for the disposal of 92 million tons of textile waste that the industry generates annually. Each year, customers throw away large numbers of fashion products. These things might range from clothes that no longer fit well, to items that are no longer considered fashionable, to outfits that have never even been put on. Only in the United States does an individual waste away around 37 kilograms 81 pounds, of apparel on an annual basis on average. Because of this, an astounding 85% of the textiles that are manufactured in the country end up in landfills or are burned. Number 8. The lack of recycling and underutilization of clothing results in a loss of more than 500 billion US dollars annually. Even though we are continually developing fresh and cutting-edge methods for recycling textiles, the amount of material that we collect and reuse is still insufficient. It is believed that less than 11% of fashion brands have recycling systems in place for the things they produce. The materials that are used in the manufacturing of clothing items are the primary contributor to the difficulty that is associated with recycling. Because the majority of them are manufactured with synthetic fibers that are derived from crude oil, it is next to impossible to reuse these materials in any other context. The sustainable and ethical fashion market is fortunately expanding at a quick rate. Fortunately, evidence shows that this sector is increasing rapidly. Number 9. Young women between the ages of 18 and 24 account for 80% of the workforce in the apparel industry. In addition to the negative effects on the natural environment, the practice of fast fashion also has a significant negative impact on society. The presence of low price tags is frequently an indication that there is a problem behind the scenes. All too frequently, the industry is linked to problematic issues such as child labor, the exploitation of workers, as well as violations of fundamental worker rights such as the absence of safety rules, low salaries, and excessively long working hours. Moreover, the industry is frequently blamed for violating basic worker rights. Some others even go so far as to call the fast fashion industry a modern type of slavery. According to a report published by the Department of Labor of the United States in 2018, there was evidence of forced labor and child labor in the fashion sector in Argentina, Bangladesh, Brazil, China, India, Indonesia, Philippines, Turkey, and Vietnam. Number 10. Approximately 59% of all the sustainable claims made by European fashion brands are both inaccurate and misleading. According to the findings of an analysis conducted in 2021 by the Changing Market Foundation, Environmental claims made by fast fashion firms are, in the vast majority of cases, nothing more than a marketing technique. Greenwashing happens when businesses devote a disproportionate amount of their time and resources on marketing their sustainability goals rather than actually putting such plans into action. The world's largest fashion companies often disseminate false information in an effort to persuade their customers that they are ethical and to give the impression that they respect transparency. For example, they may educate customers about their emissions, but they fail to establish concrete goals for reducing those emissions. Well, that's it from this video. What do you think of these fast fashion facts? And that was the conclusion of a love letter to my grandmother and a detour into fast fashion. 
a celebration of TUC Radio's first 30 years on the air. We ended with a piece, 10 Fast Fashion Facts You Might Not Know, assembled by Planet Proof, a channel dedicated to researching and evaluating businesses, brands, and products. They also post their work on YouTube. You can hear this program again for free on TUC Radio's website, tucradio.org. Look at the newest programs or the podcast page. Our email address is tuc at tucradio.org. My name is Maria Gelarden. Thank you for listening.